We're starting a new series this morning. It's called The World in Crisis. Who we are, who God is, and how we should live. Who we are, who God is, and how we should live. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, the identity crisis that we have as Christians. Our identity crisis. Next week, it will be the, a church in crisis. And anyway, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, for what you've already done. Lord, that you would pour out your spirit in this place. Lord, this is um, it's all about you. It is all about you. Open our ears, open our eyes that we would receive from you, from your word this morning, that, Lord Jesus, you'd be glorified and that we would walk out of this place different than when we walked in because of your word and because of the Holy Spirit giving us understanding. Lord, we want to receive all that you have for us. Give us the energy, give us the understanding, give us whatever we need this morning, and we receive it now, and we thank you in advance, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All right. Open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, and while you're doing that, um, I saw this article about a woman whose identity was stolen, and they say that identity theft is one of like the major crimes that happens in America. Just for a show of hands, how many of you guys have ever had your identity stolen? Okay, so there, there, I see hands, and yeah, a, a number of you have. Well, this is what this says, Karen Shearer's identity theft case uh, is a worst case scenario, it trickles down to every aspect of your life, your daily life, she said. Her social security number was stolen when she was 12 years old, a crime that she wouldn't discover until nine years later. By that time, the damage was irreparable. Using her social security number, an undocumented immigrant assembled an entire life, multiple houses, car loans, credit cards, a divorce, and child support payment. <laughs> Francisco Rodriguez is the man who did it, according to court records. He left a long trail of documented evidence spanning more than a decade, but it took Shearer more than five years to bring her identity thief to justice. Uh, her case w has ignited war uh, wars between two of Arizona's top prosecutors. She doesn't believe she will ever be able to fully fix the damage. And then listen to this. She goes, not being able to prove who you are is the most hurtful thing in the world. Not being able to prove who you are. And it, it just made me think about the body of Christ and in particular our identity in Christ Jesus. And, and I, I believe that we have a little bit of, of an identity crisis within the body of Christ. And I mean, can we prove who we are by the way that we live our life? And wouldn't you agree with me, as she said, that not being able to prove that you are a Christian solely by the way that you live your life could be a hurtful thing? Our identity in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's talk about that this morning. Now, how you see yourself, your personal identity can be shaped a lot of different ways. For many of us, it's shaped by the way that we grew up. And maybe there was a word that a parent spoke over you uh, that made you doubt your value and, and who you are. Maybe you were rejected, abused. Maybe you never felt the security of a loving family. Or, or perhaps you have what John Eldridge in, in his book, Wild at Heart, calls the father wound. And that's the absence of the blessing that should have, pissed, should have been passed on to you by 
your father, who for whatever reason was not there, and maybe you grew up with that stigma of not having that blessing. Maybe you've gone through a divorce or through a broken relationship, and it's helped to uh, create an identity of who you are. Uh, So many of us live our lives uh, apart from Jesus uh, for a while. Now, I don't know about you, but it wasn't until I was almost 27 years old that I became uh, a follower of Jesus. And, And I would just say to you that there was a lot of identity that I had that was not healthy Uh, until I came to that point. Because here's the thing about not being a follower is our deepest spiritual needs are not met when we do not believe and follow Jesus. We live in what the Bible calls darkness. Uh, We are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's our spiritual condition. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now look at verse 3. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now isn't that true? I mean, if, you're, if you don't understand that that there's this darkness and the and and the and contrasting light. If you don't understand that that God has a plan for your life and that God created you and that God has a word for you and that His Bible is a word for you, then then you're separate from all of that. And so you live according to your own passionate desires and the in, inclinations of your sinful nature. That's just how it is. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And we tried to meet this God-shaped void, as Blaise Pascal called it. We try to meet this need in ways that cannot satisfy the deepest thirst that we have at the very core of our heart. Uh, we try to fill that and satisfy that many different ways. And sometimes that cr- there's labels that we put on ourselves. Or there are labels that other people put on us. And it attaches to us like Velcro. Not only that, there's false ways of thinking. See, if we don't have God's perspective, then we're left to our own kind of, of thinking, our own kind of reasoning, which is warped which is not in, in context with what God's Word says, and so we believe things that aren't true. Then we come to Christ. Hallelujah. We come to Jesus. And maybe for the first time we encounter unconditional love. And for sure, for the first time we encounter the unconditional love of God in Christ Jesus. And we hear the words that he loves you. And we hear the words that he has a plan for you. And we go, boy, these are strange words. I never even knew this existed. This is just, and there's so much work to do, isn't there? <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's so much repair that has to happen in our hearts and our minds and our emotions. There's so many ways of thinking that have to be changed. Where we say, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, I've done this all my life. And yet the word of the Lord says, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You go, why not? And then and there's this confrontation that happens. I've heard things. I've received things. 
that were not from him, not his words. I bought into lies, the lies of others, the lies of our adversary, Satan. Now that I've encountered the love of Jesus Christ, what will I believe about me? I mean, really, will I believe what other people have said about me? Will I believe about what the culture says about me? Will I believe what I think about me, which isn't always right? Or will I believe what God said about me? No, really. Where will my identity come from? Where is your identity? What's it based in today? Is it based in your culture? Is it based in your family? Is, is, it, is it based on relationships from the past? Or is it based on your, your vision for the future? Where will your identity come from? You know, you've seen the bumper sticker that says this. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Well, that's nice, but it's not exactly correct. And if you have that bumper sticker, no disrespect. You don't have to peel it off. But the truth is, if God said it, then that settles it. (laughs) It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. Because God's truth is not based on whether or not I believe it. It's still true. Maybe you've heard this. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. That's not true either, because he's Lord of all, whether I believe it or not. He's Lord of all, whether he's Lord of all in my life or not. He's still Lord of all. And so the battle goes on. The battle takes place. Prior to becoming a Christian, you didn't even know you were in a battle. You didn't even know that you had these forces vying for your attention, pulling at you. And then you become a believer and you realize, okay, now... I need to I need to look at things biblically. I need to kind of live the way Christ says that I should live my life. And we live in this dimension of the spirit. And yet we have this this thing called the flesh. It's our natural bent to go our own way. It's our it's just the natural thing within us to do things the way that we've always done things. There's a battle that goes on for our hearts and our our minds, our affections. And our adversary, the devil, wants to drag us into that area of the flesh, to that area of carnal thinking, so that we, so he will always have the victory, and we will always lose every time. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into truth, to get us to respond biblically, to think according to what God says. Not according to what we say or what other people say. And when we respond biblically, when we follow the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, we will always have the victory every time. Can you say amen? It's true. It's true. So the battle rages. Where is the battlefront? Right here. Our thinking. First and foremost. Our thinking. Why? Because the culture warps our thinking. The culture tries to program us. There's a reason a 30-second commercial during the Super Bowl cost a million dollars. Because they want to affect your thinking. They want to create desire. Okay? And so we have in our minds this battlefield. And sometimes it's doubt. I mean, did God really say that? 
Isn't that what he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis? Did God really say now? Is that really what he meant? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Doubt. Well, you know, uh, well, that's that was pretty clear, right? I mean, there was, there was only one command, I mean, to that side. Everything else was to the positive. There's only one. Don't eat from the tree. Okay, let me get this straight. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? All the, all the trees of the garden. Exercise dominion in the garden. Okay. We got don't eat of the tree. Okay, so that's the only one, right? It wasn't ten commandments. It was one commandment, just one. Don't eat. Don't, okay, just so we have this straight, this tree right here. Yeah, that, that one. Don't eat from that one. Okay, that one. Everything else. Yeah, right, right? <sighs> Did God really say don't eat from that? Eve goes, well, I knew. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Discouragement. The enemy of our soul whispers, you know what? You're never going to get past this bondage, this addiction, this trial, this sin. That ins- You're never going to get past it. It's got too much of a grip on you. There's nothing you can do. We- discouragement. You know what? Maybe you're not a Christian. I mean, what kind of Christian would do that? You know what? Your life is a lie. It's a big lie. And you go to church on Sunday and you smile. If those people knew what you did on Monday, they wouldn't even let you in the building. You go, oh, man, I'm so discouraged. This is so hard. So there's doubt. There's discouragement. There's delay. God was taking so long. Come on now. I'm 30 years old. I'm still single. What is the holdup? God, where are you? Maybe it's just depression. It sinks into your mind. It's just no use. I don't have it within me to do this anymore. The battlefield, our mind, right? Our thinking. Hey, he'll attack our hearts, the seat of our emotions, sometimes our bodies, sometimes other ways as well. So I want to look very quickly at a life of a man named Gideon. We're in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And Judges is a book of cycles. And it's the cycle of sin slavery, sorrow, and salvation with the children of Israel. What happens is, is that God um, sets his people up, and they sort of get comfortable, and they fall into this cycle of sin where they just kind of disregard God and sort of begin to follow the ways of the culture. And then whenever that happens, God says, okay, we need a reminder of who I am and who you are, so I'm going to send an oppressor. I'm going, to put, I'm going to put you in bondage. You're going to be in slavery. So sin, God says, okay, let's deal with this. They go into slavery, and then there's sorrow. Oh, Lord, and they repent, and they cry out to God, and then God sends another deliverer. And so the whole book of Judges is all about sin and slavery and sorrow and salvation. And then after a period of time, sin, <laughs> slavery, sorrow, and salvation. Oh, salvation. Oh, oh, let's go back. And it's the same cycle that repeats itself again and again. So, um, God sends deliverers. God rescues his people. In this context, it's been 40 years of salvation. 40 years. And the people kind of go back to their old ways again. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Everybody say seven years. 
That's a mighty long time to be into to be in slavery. Seven years. Okay, as a nation. Verse 2, and the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midian sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So these Midianites didn't even live among the people, and they still oppressed the people. A very difficult situation. They, whenever they would go to harvest, the people would come out and just take everything, and then they'd go back into their caves or wherever they were going, and the people of Israel were left with like this, like nothing. Anyway, verse 6 through 10 says, So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay? Good. They are brought low, and they cry out. Took them seven years. Now, don't judge. Well, what took them so long? Oh, what takes us so long to cry out to God? What takes us so long to say, Lord, a little help, a little help? I don't know. We do that sometimes. Okay. Uh, now, it came about when the sons of uh, Israel cried out to the Lord on account of, of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all the oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Uh, you notice the context there? He reminds them of the love of God. Then he reminds them of the power of God and that the real problem wasn't the strength of the Midianites, but the sin of the people. You'll notice it says that God gave them into the hands of Midian. Ah, God did that. All right. So it's time to raise up a judge. Now, if you're doing interviews for the next judge of Israel, you want someone who's competent. You want someone who's experienced, someone who's a warrior, because obviously warfare is involved. You want someone that's got some battle scars, some battle wounds, who's been through it. You know, he's, he's taken his heels. He's, he's rushed his valleys. You know, he hasn't turned away in defeat. You want a soldier. You want someone who, who's got the experience, someone who's got it dialed in, and can, can also someone who can lead people into battle, right? Isn't that what you want? Right? Yeah. I think that's what you want. Sounds good. It does. Cool. So here's, here's what it says. And, and many of you, chuck, you're chuckling because you know the story. Verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak, which is at Oprah, not o, o, anyway, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, and his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Okay, the angel of the Lord comes. God's about to do something. He sends, I believe this is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, but that's just me. And, and he sends him, and, and Gideon, we're introduced to him, is beating out wine in the wine press in order to save it from Midian. So you understand that when, when, um, when wheat was threshed, it would be done at an open plain, and, and they would take the wheat and, you know, with a, with a winnowing fork and, and, and let it flow into the air, and the wind would catch the chaff and blow the chaff away, and the wheat would fall to the ground, and they'd harvest the wheat, right? Now, Gideon is doing that in a wine press. In other words, he's like in this, like, think a big barrel. I mean, he's like 
<laughs> when he's like, they want the Midians to get this. So, I mean, he's, he's confined to this little bitty place trying to, you know, eke out this meager existence. Um, he can't even go out into the, into the plains uh, to, to beat out the wine, uh, to beat out the wheat because of the Midianites. I mean, that's as, that's as bad as it gets, right? I mean, this is a grown man, and he's hiding, winnowing wheat. You know, probably not even working all that good. He's probably mad and frustrated and like, man, this is crazy. I can't even go out in the field. You know, I go out in that field, this wheat is gone, and I have to do it here because we've got to have wheat. It's got to be pretty frustrating, right? Well, it says, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Is that great? I don't know about you. This is just me. I picture Gideon going, let's, let's be talking about someone else, man. <laughs> really? No? And Gideon said to him, now, now this is, he, he, he's speaking to the angel of the Lord. He, he's speaking, this isn't even a man. And, 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 and he, you can tell where Gideon's heart, he goes right into it. You ever had a conversation with someone where you asked them a question and they went, boom, and they just like, well, you know what? And they just unloaded on you, right? And then you kind of thought, man, how long have you been thinking that? You, you, th- that has been in your heart for a while. I could tell that did, yeah, yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. Blah, you know, you ever, ever, you ever do that, you know? You know, you're fired up about something and you don't want to talk. I ain't saying nothing. Let him. Yeah, man. how you doing? How am I doing? It's like, whoa, whoa, man. Hold on, man. Woo, here's your Starbucks gift card. Go get a mocha tate latte yaya or something, man. You know, it's, wow. I just, I just wanted to, how was, no, I'm not even going to ask about New Year's. Don't worry about it, no. Whoa. And so here's what he does. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Oh, wow. No, Gideon, tell us how you really feel. Wow. Now the next verse is critical because it speaks so much to us as if verse 12 didn't verse 14 and the Lord looked at him and said go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian have I not sent you and he says oh Lord how Shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. Wow. And you can read the rest of the story. And find out exactly how that happened. Pretty miraculous ways. And Gideon shows up with an army of 32,000 men. And God says, oh, no, no, no. This, too much. Uh, we need to reduce this. Reduce it to about 73, to, to um, uh, 20, 22,000 men. 
And the Lord says, oh, no, no, this is not enough. And the army gets reduced to 300 men against, I mean, ridiculous odds. And, of course, he wins and he defeats the Midianites. Gideon had strength to go in, but he could not see himself as someone who could do great things for God. Great exploits? Me? There's no way. And he's got reason to believe that. After all, he's from the smallest clan of his tribe, and he's least in his very own family. He's the youngest boy in his own family. You know, talk to my brother. He's always mouthing off about how great he is. Let him go. Right? No. Listen, Gideon was correct in this. He could not save Israel. But a big God could use someone small and weak as Gideon to do great exploits. And he said this, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God's word of confidence to Gideon was not to build up his self-confidence, but to assure him that God indeed was with him. Gideon did not need self-confidence. He needed more God confidence. And it's important to know that God sends us uh, with that same truth, that same assurance. God said to Moses in Exodus 3, I will be with you. I'll go before you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Here is the point in all of this. God sees us not just as who we think we are, but who he knows we can become. That's it. That's it right there. Just get that. If you didn't get anything else. God sees us not just as who we think we are, but who he knows we can become. I mean, on a worldly plane, any good coach sees that. Every once in a while, someone comes around that nobody else picks. And they become this great, great athlete. And those stories are about how no one saw this, but there was someone who did. Right? Turn of events happens, his number gets called, and he never looks back. I'm thinking Tom Brady, but I don't want to influence anybody in any kind of way. We are in the playoffs, after all. And the Super Bowl does go through New England. But anyway, it's just an example, and it's a worldly example. So forgive me if that's offensive to you. God sees us not just as who we think we are, but who he knows we can become. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives some instructions to the church there. You have to understand a church that came out of great idolatry. These Gentile believers, boy, whew, they came a long way to come to Christ. And he says this to them, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God. Take a, a stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Take up the full armor of God. Resist in the evil day. Stand firm. And he's, he talks about these spiritual weapons that we have these this you're in a battle now here's what here's how you fight you don't fight the way you think you should fight it's a spiritual battle and it has to be fought with spiritual weapons and, and he speaks about the armor of the shield of faith and that's all i want to talk about today it's just that shield of faith he said take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy 
Now, when you think of shield, don't think of the small, round, kind of garbage can top kind of shield that's close quarters combat, but think of this big, long, rectangular shield like a door, four feet by two feet, made of wood and covered with tough leather. And the Roman soldier knew this, that if he covered himself correctly, no part of him would be exposed. No part. The edges were designed to interlock with one another. So as they marched, they would become a solid wall. That tells me that Christians are not to battle alone. Please understand, this battle is not meant for you to fight alone. Understand that. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And that also tells me we're not as effective when we're not in unity. But we're to take that shield of faith. That shield of faith is saving faith. Not, uh, not saving faith, but living faith. Uh, a trust in the power of the provision of God's word. Faith is our defensive weapon that protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. Faith is. What are fiery darts? Well, they would take these arrows and dip them in the fiery substance and launch them and as they would hit that that whatever was on the end would expand and they wanted to burn things down and they would often do it at the beginning of an, an attack to create confusion now you've got little fires uh, going all over the place today you never know when a fiery dart will come your way you never know so we have to be prepared in advance and we do that by faith Take up the shield of faith. Faith is our weapon against doubt, discouragement, fears, depression, the sin that so easily dogs us, and the thinking that sometimes creeps into our mind. Faith. I love what Rick Warren said. He says, you'll need to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Most people do the opposite. They doubt their beliefs and believe their doubts. That's just dumb. Believe what God tells you in his word. Believe what God says. Okay? How does that work? Practically. By faith. We're told to put on faith. To trust in Christ for our victory daily. Lord, today, by your grace, I'm going to stand in your truth. I realize that on my own merit, I have no righteousness but I stand in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, before I take one step, maybe it's one step off, out of bed, <laughs> before I take one step out of my house, Lord, I take up the shield of faith to extinguish any flaming missiles that the enemy might be sending our way. And I lift up that shield of faith to cover my spouse, my kids, and all that you've given me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you taken hold of your new identity in Christ? Do you realize that all of these things are meant to be an illustration of something that is brand new, that didn't exist before? And it's a new way of thinking, a new way of living, that we are new creations. 
the old has passed, the new has come. I mean, we really can't say, that's just how I am, and I've always been that way. No, you're just not yielding to the Holy Spirit, and you're choosing to continue to be this way. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For we walk by faith, and the Amplified Bible says, We regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus we walk not by sight or appearance. It's not just by what we see or just by what what we believe to be true. That's not how we, we walk by faith. More scriptures. 1 John 4, 8 says, His perfect love is not based on our perfection or anything else except himself. He always loves us, God does. But often we don't receive his love because of guilt about our wrong behavior. So here's a few ideas. Saturate your mind with the truth of God's word. These are reminders of his unconditional love for us and of who we are. Saturate yourself in God's Word so that you would know who you are. Here's, a, here's one thing you can do that's, that's pretty practical. Uh, Blue Letter Bible it has a daily devotions. You can go on our website and click on it as well. Wouldn't it be great if all of us as a church were in the Word every day? Wouldn't it be even better if we were all reading the same Scripture verse I want to challenge you to take 15, 20 minutes every day and read God's Word. Or driving down the road, there's plenty of apps. If you have a smartphone, you can listen to it as well. However you get God's Word in you, get God's Word in you because that will tell us who we are. If you don't read God's Word, you're not going to know who you are in Christ. You won't. Coming on a Sunday, or a Sunday or a Wednesday night will not be enough for you to grab a hold of this new identity and to walk in it. You've got to get God's Word in your heart. I want to encourage you to do that. Blue Letter Bible, go to the de- devotional tab, and you can click on one of those devotions. What does God's Word say about you? Genesis 1.27, so God created humans in His image. In the image of God, He created them. He created them male and female. We're created in the image of God. Animals aren't made in the image of God. The sun, the moon, the stars aren't made in His image, but you are. That makes you unique and special above all creation. We're the, we're the crown prince and princess of, of His creation. And we're made in His image and His likeness that we would reflect His glory and reflect His image. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart for my holy purpose. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. He says to Jeremiah, before you were even born, I knew you. I appointed you. I had a plan for you. I had a purpose for you. 1 Peter 2.9 says, however, you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who belong to God. You were chosen to tell about the excellent qualities of God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That scripture was originally used for Israel. But Israel vacated that, and so God says, no problem, we got a pla- not a backup plan, this is a part of my plan. Now I'm going to create not just a nation of priests, but an entire people group of priests. Entire holy nation, a royal priesthood. That's you, that's who you are. Colossians 3, 
1 through 3 says, Since you were brought back to life with Christ, focus on the things that are above, where Christ holds the highest position. Keep your mind on things above, not on worldly things. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Focus your thinking on things above. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, All of God's uh, uh, lives... All of, God's, all of God lives in Christ's body, and God has made you complete in Christ. Christ is in charge of every ruler and authority. You are complete in Christ. Can I say to you that you will get no more of the Holy Spirit than you already have because He lives in you? You don't get more of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves in, you get them all. All of them. And there may, in fact, be an issue of our yielding to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we want more of the Holy Spirit. And really, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you need to yield to me. And you will see the manifestation of more in your life. We are complete in Christ. Psalm 139.14 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Romans 8.35, uh, he says that nothing can separate you from his love. Don't let anything steal your identity. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know who you are? And you know what? Your identity in Christ not solely what you do for him. Good pastor friend of mine built a large church, large church, had a moral failure, stepped down, stepped down, went through a three-year restoration process, three years, got restored, back into ministry, was asked to fill in temporarily at a church, did that for about six, six months, and then they hired someone else. I thought, you're kidding. They didn't hire you. What's wrong with those people? Well, it wasn't God's will. Right? You know, the obvious choice isn't always God's will. And so he's back doing his thing. He's not ministering in the sense of pastoring, in the sense of leading a church full time. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what, Richard? I had to learn that I was still a man of God, even though I wasn't a full-time pastor. What was he saying? My identity isn't solely in what I do for God. When all that gets stripped away, I'm just a man of God. I thought, that's profound. That's profound. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Your identity. Has something stolen your identity? Have you not been walking in newness of life? Do you not know who you are? Do you not know what Christ has done for you? Oh, we all have struggles. We all have difficulties. We all have things we wish we could do over. We're, no, we're not perfect. No one's perfect. But you know what? There is one who's perfect. And we follow him. And we let him lead and we let him guide. And may God guide us. And may we know who we are, that our identity does not get stolen. Well, I have um, 
um, a challenge for you. And if we could, Lisa Marie, we can kind of begin our, our communion. Uh, she's going to come up in a minute. We have a, we're going to have communion together as family. Um, one of our members, Susan Corey, she's a wonderful woman of God. Uh, she says this. You know your areas of vulnerability better than anyone except God. When you're not facing attack and or temptation, write a guide to help you when you're under attack. She calls it a survival guide. A survival guide would be statements from the word of God about who you are in Christ Jesus. Statements about God's love for you, God's truth, God's goodness. Things, scripture verses that you could memorize. Take this week and make your own personal survival guide. Include scriptures that will encourage you and keep you in line with God's word. Memorize them. Write down things that you know to be true. God is love. God is truth. No matter what happens, I can trust him. Write those things down and keep them nearby as a survival guide to help you to walk in who you are. Do you know that the easiest thing for you to do is to live out this life in Christ? It'll be the easiest thing. You know, I, I, I'm kind of a wannabe farmer, you know, and I'm wannabe, you know. And, 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 and you, you know, you know when the springtime comes and the flowers blossom, come on up, Lisa Marie. And uh, I mean, you are coming up, right? Yeah, okay. And, and, and you know, you, you know when the season's changing, and you know weather's changing, and flowers are, and you know, man, it's going to be apricots. And, this, it, and, and you know, you know, those trees, they don't strive to produce that fruit. It's the most natural thing for them. I mean, like, oh, oh, plums. Ah, no, no, no. It's like, it's what we do what we do identity living it's not gonna be easy all the time i didn't say that hope i didn't say that hope i didn't hope i didn't uh, no but but walking the walk is a natural thing the most natural thing that could possibly be because he lives in us and he tells us who we are let's walk in that let's walk in that um We're going to celebrate communion together, and I have just a couple more family items I want to share with you at the end, okay? So let's do that. Yeah. So there's an interesting story about two evangelists, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. Both men were gifted speakers and drew crowds in the thousands to their meetings. In fact, Charles Templeton had 91,000 people come out to hear him speak. But in 1948, both men were faced with different philosophical criticisms regarding the Bible. And Billy Graham responded after much prayer and said, I don't know how to answer all the questions that the critics are asking me, but I'm going to choose to allow faith to go beyond my doubts and I'm simply going to believe. Templeton, faced with these same questions, enrolled at Princeton Theological Seminary and less than a decade later declared himself an agnostic. 
1996, he wrote his memoir called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Later in his 80s, in an interview about Jesus, Templeton responded and said he was the greatest human being who ever lived. As his voice began to shake and tears filled his eyes, he said, I miss him. I think this story holds significant weight for me as a Christian because it addresses something at our core that I think if we're honest, most of us are really intimidated by, and that's belief. You know, we admire the faith of individuals in overcoming impossible odds and circumstances, but when it comes to our own lives, we're often quick to dismiss belief in something greater than ourselves as just not being realistic. I mean, we feel foolish. How can I give an answer for faith in a God who is invisible from my sight? But yet when you look at the complexity and the beauty of life, it seems that there's nothing but fingerprints of design in every aspect of the world that we live in. So what in essence is forced upon us is a choice, a choice of belief or unbelief. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In essence, what he's saying here is that no religion is the way, no religion is the truth, nor is it the life, not even the one that you're practicing. What gets you to God is not religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. Religion is helpful only to the extent that it serves this higher purpose. The way, the truth, and the life has never been about Christianity, about right and wrong, following all the rules, or even morality. It's always been and will always be about simply knowing Jesus. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said in that we will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is who Jesus is, not who we are, that gives rest to the soul. I think back to 9-11 when churches across the country were packed with people seeking God in the face of tragedy. And we do this. We, we often turn to God when we feel like He is our last hope. But what ends up happening is we, we hoist our prayers towards heaven as if we were picking a lottery ticket. You know, hoping God hears us, hoping that we get an answer. When the fact is, is that God told us He would never leave us or forsake us. He's been there with you the entire time with arms wide open. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He's calling you. It's his presence. The furiousness of his love towards you. His one desire is a relationship with you. We all have the same questions. Why don't you ask God to reveal Himself to you? And He will. So I stand here this morning, and it's just amazing to me. Because everything that God revealed has been spoken through worship through words of Pastor Richie, and I didn't know what in depth that he was going to be talking about. Through the video that was shown to me, um, I watched this video just by chance um, as I was preparing for my kids. And uh, so my question is, um, before we get into communion, ushers, you can pass the elements. And I want you to hold on to the elements, and then I'll, I'll guide you. But spiritual salvation is eternally secured 
through the indestructible power of God. Your spiritual salvation. Now, Pastor Richie was talking about how, you know, this is the start of a new year. And we all sometimes make resolutions and stuff. But like he challenged you to get into God's word, that's also my challenge for you guys. Is that as you sit here today, like that question was, ask God to reveal himself to you in mighty ways and in new things. John 10, 27 through 28 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Are you struggling this morning with knowing completely that you are eternally secured by the power of God? Or are you struggling because you've gone and done your own way? Like Pastor Richie said, sometimes we do things in our own strength, and it's not God's will. So as you hold the elements, I'm just going to read some scriptures to you. And I just want you to close your eyes and just really focus on what the Lord wants from you. Because today is the start of a new day. Every morning is a new grace from God that he has given you breath of life to live and to do his work here on earth. His kingdom is not done. There are still much to do in this land. But he needs us completely focused. Focused on his relationship with, with him, our relationship with him, so that we can be a light to others as well. Because as we draw near to the Lord, that light just grows and grows and grows, and people become drawn to it. But it starts with us. There's nothing that this church can't do if we're not right with God first. Yeah, we can go out and do it in our own works, but it'll have a much powerful impact if we're connected to him. So I just want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to meditate and hear like that scripture says in John 10. My sheep hear my voice. He wants to speak to you this morning. And sometimes he wants to speak to us, but we have to relinquish things to him. Are there sins that are in your life that he wants to crumble away and wash away? Then you need to lay them at his feet. If you could play the song for me. So I'm going to pray that um, scripture over you one more time. My sheep hear my voice and I will know them and they will follow me. Because see, God has got good things for each one of us. And he wants you to follow him. A spiritual salvation is so much better than a physical salvation of just doing works because that's not the relationship that God wants. So Lord, as we close our eyes and, and as we focus on you, Lord, I just want 
each one of us to sincerely ask you, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Give us new visions, new understandings. Lord, help us to hear that voice that you are calling us, that spirit within us. May we have the faith to say, this is where you're calling me, Lord. I'm going to do whatever you ask of me. If this is what you want me to lay down and get out of my life, then, Lord, I'm going to do it. Help us to obey. Lord, humble our hearts to recognize that we're all sinners. We just need to come, like the song said, just to come as we are because you pick up all the pieces. That brokenness is nothing. And as we hold that bread that's in our hands right now, that is your body that was broken for us. So our brokenness is nothing, nothing compared to what you went through. And you walked this earth and walked through that same brokenness. But yet you shed your blood to wash us clean. All we have to do is just call out to you. Lord, humble us. We want to give you glory and honor. We just want to sit at your feet. Because you paid the ultimate price for us. May we recognize that. We want to be a part of your kingdom. And we want to further your kingdom, Lord, here on earth. We want to be used like your word tells us we are to be used. You've given us all gifts and talents to be used, but they're being stored up within our souls and we need to release them. Lord, show us our gifts. Show us our talents. Show us our sins that need to be removed so that those gifts and talents can be used for your mighty. May your word penetrate our hearts. In Isaiah 43, it says, Behold, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth, and you shall know it. I will even make a road that's within the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, God wants to give us new things. This is a new year, 2015, and he wants to do new things with us. He wants to revive new things within us. You might be in the wilderness right now, but God's blood will flow through that desert and revive you and pick you up. It's a matter of you calling out to him. So ask God to come to you this new year. or fears or anxieties keep you from the love of his arms. 
can restore, renew, and heal. whatever he wants you to do. God, we pray for this room. We pray for anointing. Lord, we pray that we would be humble enough to do whatever you ask. The first it starts with our relationship with you. May we get right with God. for the brokenness that he died for you and the blood that was shed and you can take up your bread and you can take up your cup out of thanks and honor for all that he has done for he is worthy that he's going to do new within your life and praise him for the things that he's already done and praise him for the things that you've laid at his feet that the old is gone and the new is coming and you're going to rejoice in the new and that you will behold those new things and that you would take a hold of those promises. us to new things, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. 